Well, good morning, dear brothers and sisters. It's good to at least be with you all in some way uh, together as we all share this devotional together. I do miss you all. And um, as I have prayed many times when we've been together, um, I pray that um, we wouldn't take for granted that we are able to gather together. And it seems that in the providence of God, we have this opportunity during this season of our lives to reflect on that a lot more, that our gathering together is important, that it is necessary, and that when we don't have it, it is missed. It's a good thing that it's missed. It should be missed because we are one body in Christ. Um, we are the church. We all are called out ones. And so we ought to miss each other. We ought to miss being able to do the one another's when we can't gather together. And we ought to be praying and looking forward to the time that we are able to get back together to do those one another's. Well, this morning in... Um, for our devotional, we're returning to our series in the Psalms. Um, we've gone through a number of Psalms already. The Psalm for this morning is going to be in Psalm 80. Uh, psalm 80, I believe, is a fitting Psalm for this season of our life. Uh, this Psalm is a song of confidence in the sovereignty of God in times of trouble. You recall we've talked about some of the different Psalms that are uh, throughout the Psalter, there are psalms of encouragement, psalms of lament, psalms of praise. There are various psalms that talk about uh, the enthronement of the king, uh, the importance of the king, messianic psalms, psalms that talk about the coming of the Messiah. There are all different kinds of psalms throughout the Psalter. This particular psalm, Psalm 80, is a song that illustrates confidence in prayer, corporate prayer, prayer for God to deliver from calamity. What is our confidence in prayer? Why do we pray? Why are we encouraged to pray? Why do we pray for others in times of trial? I was reminded of this about a week and a half ago. A coworker shared with our team that um, she teaches a little league team um, I believe it was a little league soccer team or a little league volleyball team. And one of the little girls on the team uh, just passed from COVID-19. And of course, that's on everyone's mind. It's weighing heavily on everyone's heart. Um, what a terrible, terrible thing to have to endure as a family to lose uh, one of your little ones. Anyone, anytime you lose someone, it's hard. Um, but particularly thinking about this family, I believe she was around seven years old, this little girl. And our coworker was had a very heavy heart, and um, so uh, both myself and another uh, coworker shared that we were praying for her um, as she endured, praying for the family, especially in particular. And um, another coworker commented that they were sending positive thoughts to the family, and that really struck me um, when I saw that comment that they're sending positive thoughts. And I wonder if sometimes we treat prayer like it's just positive thoughts. I wonder if you view prayer that way. Do you think of prayer as nothing more than just positive thoughts? Well, we know biblically prayer is something much more than that. Prayer is commanded in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Paul says to pray without ceasing. Prayer is commended 
Um, we see prayer commended in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, where the writer of Hebrews tells us to come boldly before the throne of grace. It is something good that we ought to do boldly. Prayer is endearing in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. We're told to cast our anxieties upon him, upon God, upon the Lord our God, because he cares for us. And prayer is effectual. Prayer moves the hand of God. James chapter 5, verse 16. The effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. And of course, we had that illustration in James of Elijah who prayed that it would not rain, and it didn't. And James's point there was not that Elijah was a super spiritual person, but that he was a man just like us. And so prayer changes things. Prayer moves the hand of God. Prayer is something more than just positive thoughts. So when we talk about praying, when we pray, we're doing more than just offering up positive thoughts. Some people will still mock when you pray. And you may waver in your confidence about prayer because you don't always see what you ask for. Um, Well, I think this psalm reminds us that our confidence in prayer is not in how God chooses to deliver. Our confidence in prayer is not that God necessarily chooses to deliver how we requested. So God may not answer the prayer that we offer exactly as we requested because that's not in accord with his plan. But rather our prayer, as we're going to see in this psalm, is in the fact that God, the Lord, hears us, that he hears us, that he is able to save and deliver us from calamity, and that he is willing to do so for our good and his glory. That's our confidence in prayer. That's why we pray. That's what we're reminded of in this psalm. Now, I trust that you all have read through Psalm chapter 80. I'm just going to pray a brief prayer, and then we'll go through the passage together. Our Father and our God, we do thank you for our time together and pray that as we look at this psalm, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would encourage our minds, that you would shape and mold our thinking about prayer, that you would remind us of the truths that we've come to hold dear, that we would regard prayer as more than just words, but that we would see prayer as our communion with you, a part of our communion with you, our growing communion with you. And that we would earnestly pray with and for one another, for our corporate collective good and for your glory. And even so that the nations of the earth might see your glory as we pray for your sovereign care, as we pray for your deliverance, and as you answer in accord with your will. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, take a look at uh, this passage with me, Psalm 80. I trust that you are there. Um, Again, that you have read through the passage. Um, Psalm 80, as I said before, is a song of confidence in the sovereignty of God to save uh, as we pray for deliverance. This is a prayer. This is a request that they're offering up. I want you to notice a couple of things just as we're looking at this passage in verse 1. We see right at the beginning there the the desire, um, the prayer, the request. He says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. Give ear. Listen to us. Hear us. We see a repeated refrain. Again, this is a song. 
Um, and so there are there there is um, there are three stanzas to this song, and there is a repeated refrain, a chorus, and that repeated refrain is in verses three, verse seven, and verse nineteen. And it says there, restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. In verse 3, in verse 7, restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. And in verse 19, restore us, O Lord God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. This is a prayer. This is a plea. He's calling out the psalmists and uh, the people of God with the psalmists as they're being led with this song are calling out to God. Hear us, O God. Listen, this is an appeal to him. This is a cry to him. It's a cry particularly to God as our shepherd. He says, give ear. He says, O Lord God of hosts. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, in verse 1. Again, you who lead Joseph like a flock. So this is a lamb bleeding for its shepherd, a lamb calling out for its shepherd. I need your help. He says, O Lord God of hosts, restore us. God is called the God of hosts. It's important for us to remember to take note of the titles that are ascribed to the Lord as we're reading Scripture. He's called the shepherd of Israel. He's called the God of hosts. When he's called the shepherd, of course, we think initially about Psalm 23 and um, the beauty of that imagery of God leading us as a shepherd. And of course, that is, um, that is what the, the, the songwriter here leads with, the, the imagery of God leading Joseph like a flock, uh, leading the people of Israel, leading um, God's people as a shepherd leads his flock through the wilderness. And he calls upon God as that shepherd. He calls him the God of hosts, right? That God is the God of hosts speaks to his rulership, his sovereign rule, his power, his omnipotence, his greatness over the hosts of heaven. Um, so God is not just a king or lord or ruler over uh, an army of a thousand men or an army of 10,000 men or an army of tens of thousands of men, but he is the ruler, the leader, the commander in chief over the hosts of heaven. What a mighty army our God has. And who else would you rather call out to than the God of the hosts of heaven? Well, that's what we're reminded of again as we come before this song that we're praying to this one. We're praying to the one who is our shepherd. We're praying to the one who is the God of hosts. That is our confidence. And that's our first point. And that is what is being brought out in this first stanza as we're being introduced to the psalm in verses 1 and 2. And again, verse 3 is just a refrain, the chorus. But we see our confidence rooted in our relationship with God. Our confidence rooted in the character of God, the person of God. Again, verses 1 and 2. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Now, there's a lot that we could say about what's going on at the time. This is probably written from the, the southern kingdom perspective, from Judah's perspective, probably written 
um, as the people of God are envisioning themselves as, um, uh, as, uh, as Joseph's descendants. Um, they're, they're calling upon God as their shepherd. They're calling upon God as the one who would lead them out of calamity. Um, as we read through the rest of the psalm, we'll get an idea as to what might have been going on during the time. Um, perhaps they're looking around at um, how all the nations have been ravaging, all the nations have been um, attacking, all of the nations have been oppressing around them, uh, causing them a great deal of concern and consternation, causing them trouble, causing trial. And they're calling upon God for help, for deliverance. Well, again, they call him the shepherd of Israel, the one who leads Joseph like a flock. We already talked about that. They call him the one who is enthroned upon the cherubim. And they ask him to shine forth. What is that all about? Well, the one who is enthroned upon the cherubim, that harkens back to the imagery of the Ark of the Covenant. And so he's, again, trying to get us to, to remember the relationship that God has with his people here. He's the one enthroned upon the cherubim. He's the one who is enthroned upon the mercy seat. Um, so the people of Israel would uh, uh, initiate uh, one particular offering at the Day of Atonement where the, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and eventually in the temple and they would offer up a sacrifice. They would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And that blood was intended to cover the sins of the people for the year. So they're hearkening back to the imagery that is presented by the mercy seat, uh, by the Ark of the Covenant. God, you are the one who has set us apart as your people. You are the one who has given us this covenant relationship with you. You are the one who leads us like a flock. You are our shepherd. You are the one who is enthroned upon the cherubim. Again, you are the God of hosts. You are the one who, um, who uh, restores us, who redeems us from our sin. We're calling upon you to help, to save, to deliver. Again, our confidence in prayer is not that God chooses to save in the specific way that we ask. It's not just that we are the ones praying because there's something good in us, but our confidence in prayer is that God, the Lord, is the one who hears us. Moving on to our next section in verses 4 through 7. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have given them to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Our enemies laugh among themselves. Again, we're getting into uh, a lot more of the issue that, uh, that Israel was facing. Again, we pray to God in times of calamity, not just because we expect him to answer in a particular way, but because he is our shepherd. He is our God. He is the Lord. But we also see here that we pray to God in times of calamity because he is able to save and deliver. Even in the midst of our sin. Uh, Israel here is acknowledging in this stanza that the reason for their calamity is their sin. 
They have rebelled against God. They have disobeyed God. They have rejected God. And they recognize that God is angry with them and that he is bringing judgment upon them for their sin. Even back when God initiated this covenant with the people of God through Moses, he initiated this uh, bilateral covenant with them, this covenant that required certain things for them to fulfill. You do this and I will bless you. You do that and I will curse you. All of those things were clearly laid out to the people, but they chose instead to go the way of the nations. They chose to disobey. disobey. They chose to rebel against God and his covenant. And therefore, God brought this calamity upon them. And they're recognizing his sovereignty in their calamity. And I think that's the point that's instructive for us. How long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. They're not scorning God here. They're not ridiculing God. They're acknowledging his sovereignty in their trial. They're acknowledging that God is the one who has chosen to bring chastisement upon his people. Now, I want to bring this home for us because we're not necessarily in this time of our lives, in this time, this COVID crisis, we're not necessarily looking at this as God's judgment upon his people. But we do have to acknowledge that God is sovereign over this. We do have to acknowledge that God is at work in the midst of this. We do have to acknowledge that all trial, all trouble is ultimately under the sovereign guidance of the Lord our God the sovereign of the universe. He is the one who is ultimately in control of this. COVID-19 is not out of control. COVID-19 is not some, some wild virus. Um, it, it's not a matter of some government uh, conspiracy um, re- unleashing COVID-19 to try to, um, I don't know, Uh, pursue its own evil purposes, whether it be the Chinese government or the American government. It's not about some virus that was cooked up in some lab. That's not the point. The point is that God is sovereignly in control of this, and we have to acknowledge his sovereign care and control. And the point at which we start to feel out of control, and when we start to despair, is when we start to think that these things are greater than God. When we start to think that COVID-19 is greater than the Lord our God, it is not. God is in sovereign control of all things that take place, all things that happen. And we have to confess that before God. We have to confess that before the world. Now, we may get anxious. We may feel a sense of anxiety as a result of these things, but we can't stay there. Our anxiety comes because we feel like we can't control and because we feel like we can't do anything about what's happening in the world. And yet we know that God is sovereign and that God is in control and we can rest in that. And more to the point of the psalm, even in the midst of the consequences of our own sin, we have to acknowledge God's sovereignty. When we choose to disobey, when we choose to rebel against his word, against his will, we have to, in humility, come before him, confess our sins to him, acknowledge our sins before him. Acknowledge, as David said in Psalm 51, against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. We have to confess that to him 
and we have to pursue him. Not fall away, as might the rest of the world. Our confidence in times of calamity um, is the Lord. We come before the Lord, we pray to the Lord in times of calamity, we pray for deliverance because of who He is, because of our relationship with Him, because of His character. We pray to God in times of calamity because of His sovereignty, because He is in sovereign control. And we pray to God in times of calamity because we acknowledge His purposes for the church, His purposes for His people. And that's the last stanza. You brought out a vine, you brought a vine out of Egypt, verse 8. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its wall so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that moves in the fields feed upon it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and the son for whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you've made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Now, briefly, there are two analogies here. One is that of a vine. It's of a vine that was brought out of Egypt, again, hearkening back to the Exodus. The vine was brought out of Egypt. It was planted. God cleared ground for it. He, he made shade for it. He, he nurtured it. He allowed it to start to grow, and then he broke down the walls. Why did he break down the walls? Again, because of their disobedience and their sin. And so they're calling upon the God who called this vine out initially, to save. And secondly, they call him the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you've made strong for yourself. Israel is referring to itself as the man of God's right hand, the son of man. What does that mean? The man of his right hand is his chosen person, his chosen man, the son of man. Again, his chosen person, his chosen man. They're acknowledging God's purposes for Israel. And ultimately, we understand that Israel did not fulfill those purposes and that Christ came as the true vine. Christ came as the true vine in John chapter 15. He came as the beloved son in whom the father is well pleased, as it says in Hebrews chapter 1. And as we acknowledge what God is doing in our lives, we pray to God for deliverance in these times because we know that he is at work in his church. We know that he has purposes for his church. We know that God desires to be glorified in his church. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, Paul says that God is able to do far more exceedingly beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power at work in us. We know that that's true. We know that it's true because he desires to be glorified in his church. So I ask you, as you think about praying, how do you regard prayer? How are you treating prayer in times of COVID-19? How, how are you treating prayer in times of crisis? Do you think about prayer when you talk about praying for other people? Do you think about it as just positive thoughts? Or are you looking at this as an opportunity to pray fervently for one another? Because that's something that we can do. We can't do anything about COVID-19. We can't do anything to help one another in 
all of the ways that we have enjoyed doing so in tangible physical ways, but we can do this. When we can't do those other things, we can do this. We can pray. I would leave you with Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 12, and I would urge you to think through that passage and to pray through that passage for one another. I would urge you to pray specifically for one another, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. That is God's purposes, God's desire for His church, that we would be able to bear fruit in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis in every good work, that we would increase in the knowledge of God in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis, that we would be strengthened with all power according to the glorious might of God for all endurance and patience, endurance, bearing up under trial, patience, being patient with everyone, and that we would be joyously giving thanks to the Father throughout all of this, the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God bless.